Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. Little Brother, Big God, part four of six. We're in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, chapter 42 and 43. Pray with me if you would. Lord, thank you so much for your word. There's much we can learn always from your word. And we learn at different levels. We learn about history. We learn about your plan, the very biggest of big things. And we learn what we need for the next moment and the next hour and the next day and the next week. Speak to us deeply and bring about a change in our hearts and bring glory to yourself through that change. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Trust God to meet you in the mess. That is where we meet Jesus. In the middle of what's most messed up about us or our lives. He is not fooled by or interested in any version of us cleaning up our act. He knows that it really is just an act, whether we call it religion or not. We can drop it. So at this point in our survey of the life of Joseph, we learn that it did not matter that Joseph had risen from the bottom, from pits and prisons, all the way to the top, to Pharaoh's throne. It topped to Pharaoh's His life was still messed up. Is your life messed up? Well, meet the God of Joseph, the God who used Joseph to bring us Jesus by preserving the messianic line. Meet the God of the Bible. And you'll see him work here the way you see him work in the book of Ruth or in Esther, behind the scenes, and yet you'll, you'll hear his name as things progress. Notice right away, though, and just keep in mind that Joseph, in terms of the human perspective, he was the most impressive thing in the scene right here. He, he had all the, the power here, all the money, all the prestige and influence and fame and blessings in the world, all the stuff that you and I pine for and beg God for, telling God that if he would only finally give us what we have patiently and prayerfully asked for, then we would live better lives for him and take care of what matters most. It's not true, and he's not interested. He is interested instead in our mess. That's where he meets us. So it, it may seem mysterious to you. You may like push back, but I just want you to think about something. The creation of all things, of, of all the trees and all the birds and all the bugs, everything, and you and I, that took two chapters. The intricacies of this family's dysfunction we're going to go through two chapters and it already began chapters before and we're not getting through it so let's just learn from how scripture is shaped and the time that God spends on the things he spends time on 
He cares about our mess. And we see that it's the messiest and the most messed up parts of Joseph's life that God helped himself to in order to help him and eventually all of us. I sometimes tell the story of, of uh, reconciling with my dad after nine years of being estranged. And there's a lot of drama in that story. There's a lot of drama in every story. There's just a lot of drama, period. I'll talk about that in a minute. But what gets lost in that story and in every other story that has a good ending or a God ending, if you will, is just what a mess things are. What a mess it all was. It was a big mess. My father and I had arranged this meeting. We finally met. And at some point, he was having some problems. It was, it was hurting. He was uncomfortable. And he thought it was his kidneys. And he went to the emergency room, cutting our meeting short. And he gets to the emergency room. It's a good thing he went. Because the doctor said something like this to him. Well, I've got good news and bad news, Mr. Torres. The good news is your kidneys are fine. The bad news is you need heart surgery immediately. And so for the next several months, I got to see my father in the hospital. And that's where we made up and caught up, had meals together, that kind of thing. It wasn't what he planned. It wasn't what I planned. It was a mess. And, you know, as you, as you look at this story, I mean, I go around sometimes saying that I hate drama. Right? Do you ever say that? I would, I think you probably should, if I say that, you should probably think I'm probably in drama right now. I'm probably into some drama. That's why I'm saying that. Well, I, if I'm a human being living on this planet, I can't avoid drama. I'm stuck with drama. There's no way to avoid it. Life with the other humans gets messy. Amen? It does. Life all by itself gets messy, is a mess. Me, all by myself, am a mess. And, and reconciliation is what, it, what it's called, what God calls it when he does his work in our lives, on our messes. And sometimes, the bigger the reconciliation, the bigger the mess it makes. Now, is God behind all this? Does he have a penchant for all things messy and dramatic? Does he look at drama as, as, the, as the main ingredient in his get well plan for us, spiritually and relationally? Well, something like that. Yeah, if the Bible's to be believed. Why? Well, let's just look at the Bible. So first we see the fall in Genesis 3. That's a mess, right? A big mess. Eclipsed by an even bigger mess, the crucifixion of Christ. That's a mess. And the end of time as described in the Bible, especially in Revelation, big mess. A big mess. And a mess that some of us, are, we're all looking forward to, something we're in it already. People ask me sometimes, they say, well, how messed up can things get? Oh, they can get more messed up than this. Amen? That was a... <laughs> Amen. Yeah, they can, right? So messed up that we can, in the future, look back at these days and call them what? The good old days. Remember those days? Yeah. So more than all that, though, is the mess that Jesus went through for us. What a mess he let people make of him, even physically. The great pattern of redemption shows us that when it comes to cleaning up our relationships with him and with each other, sometimes we end up making a mess in order to clean up the mess we made before. Our mess of forbidden fruit 
of sin led to the mess of a crucified son wailing as he died, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's messed up. That's a big, dramatic mess. The biggest ever. And yet because of it, you and I can know that God hasn't turned away from our mess. And neither should we. Stay in there. Hold out for the best. In Joseph's case, this involved reconciling with his brothers and his family. And I love how these two chapters start with a bunch of men just staring at each other. You know, a paralysis of incapacity and mediocrity, which may remind many of us of our own lives. And it takes a kick in the backside from dad to get things moving, which may, again, remind many of us of something we might require in our lives. So here it starts, Genesis 42, verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? I just love that. And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. So the famine is, is messing things up everywhere. But even in times of famine, as in times of feast, it is the things of the heart that get our attention. And apparently, it is the things of the heart that get, gets God's attention. That's what we're seeing here. Next verse. But Jacob did not send Benjamin. This is a thing of the heart. Joseph's brother with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. So first of all, Benjamin is the real baby of the family. Joseph's only full brother. Rachel's other son, Rachel being the one that Jacob loved more than Leah. Of his two wives. That's a huge, complicated, dramatic mess brought to a head by this image we now have of Joseph's childhood prophetic dream becoming a reality. His brothers are bowing to him with their faces to the ground. Wait, it gets worse. It gets messier. I'm going to make the slides gray-gray because things are going to get cray-cray. Here it goes. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? He said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now we see not only what's messed up, but who's messed up. And who's really messed up right now? Joseph. And the verses that follow, in verses 9 through 17, he toys with his brothers he accuses them of being spies. They deny it. They have just come to buy food. Then they tell the truth, including the fact that their youngest brother stayed behind. And then, in a really messed up way, Joseph demands that they go get the younger brother and bring him back. But first, he throws them all in jail or custody, whatever that means. Whatever it means, it's a mess. So what does Joseph do for those 
three days. Does he, does he call up Pastor Jose? Say, uh, can we meet? And what would Pastor Jose say? Well, sure, but let me ask you a question. What are you doing? What are you doing, Joseph? And, and you think, well, after three days, he comes to his senses. Uh, no, let's check out verse 18. On the third day, Joseph said to him, do this and you will live. For I fear God, if you are honest men. Let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. So first of all, Joseph knows so far that his brothers have been honest with him. They don't recognize that it's him. They just recognize the governor they're speaking to. But now we see in the verses to come after this that the brothers realize they deserve this. They had messed up things earlier and as messed up as things were now, they were reaping the mess that they sowed earlier in life. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. Just listen to their words and, and feel the mess they see themselves in and keep in mind that Joseph can hear them and understand them. Verse 21. Then they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. That is so messed up. But the next verse, the first half of the next verse, then he, Joseph, turned away from them and wept. Cringe city, right? A human train wreck here. Joseph is now even more messed up. And just let's note for the record that he is essentially the richest, most powerful man in the world. But it does not matter. He is totally and completely messed up. He has every tool at hand that we think we need to help ourselves, and he cannot help himself. None of us can. Verse 24, it says, Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them and took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey this was done for them. So in the next verses, verses 26 through 28, we have all this stuff about the money that was put back in their sacks. Even God, who just like in the story of Ruth and Esther that I said before, even God, who's working behind the scenes, he's working quietly, and the Scriptures want us to see that because that's how it works in our lives. And the Scriptures want to train us to recognize God because we're people of faith and we're living lives of faith, and faith is evidence of things you don't see. So God, the Holy Spirit, through the Scripture, wants you to be trained in this. Start to be able to spot God even though you can't see God. That's why we have stories like we have in the Bible, stories like this. So in verse 28, he's mentioned by the brothers. What is this that God has done to us? Are they blaming their mess on God? It wouldn't be the first time or the last, but maybe they're accepting blame from God. Anyway, in verses 29 through 35, they explain the whole mess to their father when they get back to him. 
who, of course, responds responsibly, right, without casting blame? No. Let's check it out. Verse 36, And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Thanks, Dad. Then Reuben said to his father, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. A lot of drama, right? That's where God meets us. A lot of mess. Look how Jacob responds. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. That's the underworld, that's hell, that's the grave, Sheol. So this is how chapter 42 and the brothers' weird, scary, not that productive first trip to Egypt goes. And that's how it ends. But the little they get from this trip to Egypt runs out again. The famine is severe. Jacob again tells his sons to go. They remind him of the man's conditions, that they have to bring the youngest son back. Jacob blames them for mentioning Benjamin. But eventually, he comes around. Now, is this God? Is this the hand of God or the pressure of circumstances, which is just another form of the hand of God? It doesn't matter. Things are so messed up that this messed up situation that might endanger Benjamin is his best option. So he tells them to go and bring gifts and bring back the money they found in their sacks and take also your brother and arise Go again to the man. Now, something happened there. And you you don't read that Jacob did something, that he decided to do something. You just hear mentions of God now. They start to show up. And this is what God is doing. He's working in the mess. That's what he's doing in your life. Recognize it. See him. It's not you. It's not your character. It's not your integrity or your profound lack thereof. It's not that. It's not your faith. It's not your opinion. It's not your intelligence. It's not your education. Those things are all garbage. They don't help you. They don't help you when it comes to this, when it comes to the mess. In fact, a lot of those things are ways for you to cover over the mess or try to pretend that the mess is not there, but it's there all the same. doesn't matter how much you have of anything. Still got the mess, still can't help yourself, still need God. God needs to do God's work too. Amen? Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. Now we get a hint. Now we see Scripture is training us. How How do you see that God's at work? You hear it. You hear it through the mouth of Jacob. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Then they go. They end up in front of Joseph again, explaining all this. And Joseph, just like Jacob, is acting better. 
and mentioning God. These two things go together. Joseph, he replied, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. So we go from a mess to a meal. Things are still a mess, but there's light now, isn't there? There's light at the end of the tunnel. This is the light of God, no doubt. And his influence inside the mess. Again, two chapters for all of creation. Spectacular. Birds, bugs, all of it. Fish. Your dogs, your cats, if they would deny it. <laughs> right? All that, two chapters. God loves his power. But what's he about? Where is he meeting us? Why did he write this book for us to read? What does he want us to notice? Him. Where? In the mess. In the middle of it. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground again. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. That means they're laid out flat on the ground in front of them. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. That's his full brother. Maybe the first time he's seen him. His mother's son. And said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out. For his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. Wow, it's still a mess. But there's beauty to it now, isn't there? Sometimes once those tears start flowing, you know, God's really got a hold of something now. God's doing something now. And notice how the Holy Spirit led Moses to write this book, spending the time he spent on creation, but now we're spending a lot of time on Joseph's tears, aren't we? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's still a mess, you know? And we're, we're in the middle of the story when it comes to Joseph and the, and the mess he's dealing with when it comes to his family. But there's this difference now that we can definitely notice. We're, we're hopeful now. We've heard God's name mentioned a few times, and that is our sign of better things to come, both in this account from history and Scripture and in our own lives. Let me just read the last few verses. No screen. They served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. 
That's just a cultural thing. Don't make too big of a deal of it. That was the culture back then. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. So the meal is is a break from the mess. Again, another thing that works the same in our lives. So so what is here that can help you? You know, what, what can you get out of this, depending on how messed up you are right now, how, how messed up your life is. Well, I'm a mess too often and, and messed up more or less most of the time. And so the first thing I'm learning from God's Word is that I can't live up to God's Word. I can't do it. Joseph couldn't do it. It's not in me. I, I can't clean up my own mess. I can't clean up my life mess. And when I ignore God's word and run ahead to try to clean up my own act, it usually results in something that's more like covering up than cleaning up. And covering up may have been what Joseph was going for. That may have been why he was so deceitful, and he really was pretty deceitful throughout this whole episode. The real messes of our lives are painful. We want to cover them up. Joseph's brothers felt like their cover had been blown. It had been. Religion is our big cover-up operation. It's a way of being fake in God's name. Well, if you're doing that, you don't have to continue now. And the Bible's helping you to stop doing that. You can drop that. And acknowledge, first of all, that, that covering up is as good as we can do. Without God, we might as well have our religion. But we don't need it. We don't need the cover-up operation when we have the God of the Bible. He will minister to us. He will meet us in our midst. You don't need to cover up. You don't need the bandage. Think about your own body. Use it as an illustration. You wound yourself, and you put a bandage on the wound. Now, what you're hoping for is not that the bandage would do something for you. You're hoping for underneath the bandage, the wound would heal all by itself, because that's how God has set things up, right? Amen? I always forget. That's the only word you can say back to me. Amen? Amen, right? So, so that's what you're hoping for. What if the wound doesn't heal? Well, then the bandage is no good. And might even make things worse. You, you watched in these verses that we just looked at as everyone got better. Just like that wound under the bandage. The brothers, they were really in the lead here, weren't they? Look how the roles were switched. Who took the high ground here? The brothers, not Joseph, not Jacob, really. Not at first, but then you see thawing in each of their hearts, too. You, you, start, them, you start watching them all get better. And the main ingredient in that, the medicine there, was the truth and then faith. And you're seeing the direct result of the invisible hand of God on the hearts of his people. These reactions now are are starting to not be typical human reactions. That's a sign that God is at work. You know, Joseph was the one who had the typical human reaction early on. But then 
He changes. He softens. And we're meant to take a good look at God's work in Joseph's life. We want to see that. And so there's really three parts to it. We want to see Joseph as stripped. The first thing that happens to him is he loses everything. He's stripped of his coat by his brothers, thrown into the pit. He's stripped of his clothes by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. The world comes to an end a couple times over for him. He was a loser long before he was a winner. And all this was God's work. Foundations are dug. You know, every sturdy home that can stand in the storm starts as a hole in the ground, right? Amen? Sorry? <laughs> Amen? Yes. So is this you in your life right now? Well, well let the Word of God minister to you and give you hope that this good work God has started in you, He will carry on to completion. The next step, and they go in order, you see Joseph as submitted. And this is not something he decided to do. And the Scriptures intentionally leave out any hint that he was the, the righteous one here. Especially in, in what we're looking at here, in the mess of these chapters. He didn't decide to do things God's way or anything like that. No one ever can, by the way, not until God initiates, and then God has to maintain it. That's why we need a Savior. God happened to Joseph. Joseph didn't grab God until God grabbed Joseph. Pray for the same. Pray for the same in your life. You're listening to this. You're interested in this as we talk about God's Word. You want God. Well, that's because God has planted a desire for him in your heart. You want his power to change. His power to deal with your messed up life. Your mess, not your own. Joseph had plenty of his own power. Could he have any more on the planet earth? I'm not sure. And what good did it do him when it came to his own heart to the things that were most messed up in his life, the things that brought him to tears. It had to be God, and it was. God supplied Joseph, even as he failed, and he's failing here in these chapters, because we all fail, the best of us, the worst of us. There's little difference. We fail. We fail in this life. We don't live up to our own standards. And those standards are low. We lower them all the time. And we still don't live up to them. Amen? Yeah, we don't. I don't. But God supplied Joseph, and he supplies us. He supplied him through those dreams and his interpretation to dreams. And now he's supplying him with everything he needs to get through this, the grace to forgive and accept his brothers and all that they had put him through. And we have, we're not even seeing that. It didn't even happen yet. We're still in the middle of the story. It's yet to come. We'll see it next time. So how about you? In your life? Do you trust God with your mess? Look for him in your mess. 
Don't think that the, the, the messed up parts of who you are are the, are, the, are the parts God doesn't want to see. That, that, that those parts are, are repellent. He's drawn to that. He, it's your brokenness he's drawn to. It's your woundedness. It's your pain. That's where he meets you. That's where he does his work. That's where the cross is effective. Because that pain has a root, and that root is sin. Always, it always ends up being that. Every diagnosis comes up with the same conclusion when it comes to our brokenness. And God the Father provided for you his son to help you especially with the stuff that's really messed up. Amen. Lord, in Jesus' name, we come before you, and we're just so grateful. Your word shows us who you are, and we can see because you open our eyes, and you open our hearts, and we're surprised constantly, continually, by your love for us by your, your goodness to us. And we want to come before you now. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't hear what, what happened in Joseph's spirit when he pulled away into the next room weeping. But we have, we have thoughts about that because we've had that same experience, each one of us, our own version of that experience in our lives. And some of us are having that right now. Some of us are going through really tough stuff right now. Some of us are in the middle of big messes. Lord, minister to us. Help us to see your hand. Help us to recognize you at work. Help us to trust you through it all. In your name, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.